0: Science Plus Ethics Equals Integrity podcast featuring Barry Dunn Healthcare Practice Group professionals and expert guests discussing their insights into contemporary, as well as perennial healthcare regulatory, revenue integrity, general compliance and risk management topics. I'm Krista Bernacchia, a senior manager in Barry Dunn's Healthcare Practice Group. I'm pleased to be joined for this episode by two esteemed colleagues from Barry Dunn's Healthcare Practice Group, Senior Managers Olga Gross-Balzano and Robin Hoffman. The title of our podcast today is Cultivating Kindness and Compliance with New Compliance and Ethics Program Requirements for Nursing Facilities. Before we get into our discussion, we have a quick disclaimer. The content we discuss in this podcast is based on our professional experience advising healthcare providers, facilities, and other organizations engaging Barry Dunn for compliance and other services. While we may reference specific government programs, Medicare and Medicaid policies, and regulatory guidance, we do not speak for any government agency or contractor, nor do we have the authority to do so. Nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice. Anyone seeking legal advice on the subjects we discussed today should consult their own attorney. So let's get started. I'd like to introduce Olga Gross-Balzano, who is a certified public accountant and a nursing facility administrator in our healthcare practice group. Olga is a member of a regional HFMA compliance committee and a continuing education reviewer for the National Association of Long-Term Care Administrators Board. Olga, might you offer our listeners a brief description of the type of services that you provide for our Barry Dunn clients? I'm sure they'll be fascinated to hear your deep bench of knowledge. You're too kind, Krista. Thank you for the introduction. At Barry Dunn, I help healthcare
1: organizations with operational consulting, reimbursement, revenue cycle, and regulatory compliance. I also work with state Medicaid agencies on nursing facility compliance audits, and I'm very happy to be here today.
0: Well, that's terrific, Olga. So happy to have you. It's always a pleasure to spend this time. You've got great knowledge, and can't wait to introduce our next participant, who's also got a tremendous background in this space. Um, So Robin Hoffman is a senior manager in our healthcare compliance and credentialing team. Robin is certified in healthcare compliance by the Healthcare Compliance Association. Robin's expertise in compliance is certainly influenced by her clinical background as a registered nurse and her master's preparation as a community health clinical nurse specialist. Prior to coming to Barry Dunn, Robin developed and led corporate compliance program at a Connecticut-based federally qualified health center. Robin, can you share with our listeners some of the services that you offer to Barry Dunn clients?
2: Happy to do so, Krista. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. Since coming to Barry Dunn in July of 2022, I've served as the project lead in conducting an external compliance program effectiveness review for a health system in Connecticut. I'm also involved in several of Barry Dunn's independent review organization or IRO projects. Barry Dunn is engaged by healthcare organizations to perform IRO functions when that organization or a clinician is obliged to enter into a corporate integrity agreement or a CIA, which sounds ominous indeed, with the U.S. Office of the Inspector General. I also collaborate with other Barry Dunn colleagues as we provide subject matter expertise in compliance to attorneys on attorney-client-privileged
0: projects. Wow. Robin, thanks so much for sharing your background. Our listeners are in for a real treat today with you and Olga and all of the wonderful lanes you've traveled in in the industry. So um, let's get started. Olga. Olga. Can you describe the impacts of the Office of the Inspector General's Compliance Program Guidance for Nursing Facilities, which was released initially more than 20 years ago in 2000 and updated in 2008 on the nursing home industry? Have there been particular changes that that really apply to our nation's most vulnerable population?
1: Well, great question, Krista. So, This is not a new program, of course. We've heard about it for years. SNF compliance program reflects the Office of Inspector General's continued focus on quality of care. It addresses specific risks, er risk areas related to quality of care and claim submission the federal anti-kickback statute as well as other emerging areas and what's important to know why we are talking about that is that non-compliance may and most likely will result in civil money penalties and other enforcement actions and our job at Be Redone is to help all our clients to avoid those penalties and non-compliance issues.
0: Absolutely, Olga. You raise a fantastic point that's critically important as a takeaway for our listeners. Um, So, Olga, the enactment of the Affordable Care Act amended federal regulations pertaining to the Medicare and Medicaid programs. As of November 28, 2019, all long-term care facilities had to implement a compliance and ethics program can you describe for our listeners what the eight mandatory components are for nursing facilities compliance and ethics program?
1: That would be my absolute pleasure. However, the, the list is long. As you said, Krista, there are eight components. So uh, as we are talking about it in, in brief, Uh, I want to encourage our listeners to go to our website. We do have um, an extended article on this with all reference and regulatory sources that they can refer to. But um, in summary, those eight components are first and foremost is written compliance and ethics standards, policies and procedures. So they have to exist on paper, not just in somebody's great mind second there should be a designated high-level personnel and high level means chief executive officer a board member somebody with real authority to do something about non-compliance if if there's an indication of such thing and that person should oversee the compliance program number three um, the program needs to designate sufficient resources and authority to assure that compliance um, with the established standards is actually taking place. Another point is due care. Facilities have to make sure not to delegate authority to individuals who had a propensity to engage in criminal, civil, or administrative violations. And that is kind of, you know, we we assume that it is a basic 101. And it's kind of surprising that we have to remind facilities that they need to do their screenings, but that is um, a part of the program. Number five, organizations need to have an effective communication plan in place. And that means that entire staff contractors, and volunteers need to be knowledgeable of the compliance and ethics program and what is expected of them. So they should know not only that program exists, but what their role is in following the steps and assuring compliance. Number six is reasonable steps to achieve compliance, such as there needs to be a monitoring and auditing system designed to detect violations. As a next step, there needs to be a reporting system so anyone could bring up an issue. And another step, there needs to be a process for ensuring the integrity of all reported data. So all reported potential violations or suspected violations have to be inventory documented and there needs to be a database of those. One of the steps is that program has to be enforced by disciplinary mechanisms, including failure to detect and report violations should result in disciplinary action. And the last step is there needs to be a mechanism to respond to reported violations and most importantly, prevent further violations. So a lot. But again, as I said, we have a list on our website, so please refer to to it.
0: Thanks, Olga. That's great information about the protections, planning, communication, monitoring, and reporting for our listeners. Robin. These requirements are so similar to what's also referred as the seven elements of an effective compliance program. We like lots of numbers and statistics here at Very Done. Do you agree that there are similarities? And can you talk a little bit
2: about those today? Absolutely. There is tremendous overlap in what Olga has just articulated for us and what are called the seven elements of an effective compliance and ethics program. The seven elements were first um articulated, if you will, by the Office of the Inspector General in the year 2000. And just a quick uh, quick review of each element. And again, you will see that these absolutely harmonize with what has been written into the federal regulations for skilled nursing facilities, compliance and ethics programs. The first element, again, speaks to having standards, policies and procedures for one's compliance and ethics program. The second is having a compliance program administration. In other words, having the appropriate staffing, having the tools that they need in order to not just have a compliance plan, but to really implement and maintain a compliance and ethics program that is dynamic. The third element again, speaks to screening and evaluation of employees, clinicians, volunteers, and vendors. Critically important to make sure that an organization does not engage with any individuals, any individuals who have been excluded from participating either in federal or state health programs. The fourth element, again, We're talking communication, education, and training on compliance issues. Critically important that, again, there needs to be an opportunity for staff, for clinicians to know that there's someone that they could reach out to with questions. The fifth element, again, monitoring, auditing, and internal reporting systems. It's critically important that if a staff member or a clinician feels that they've identified something, I refer to it because I am a nurse, as my nurse's gut. I use that term a lot in compliance work. If something just doesn't sit right in my gut, I want to be able to have someone to take that concern to who can then take on that question and conduct an investigation. The sixth element is discipline for noncompliance. As Olga said, if an investigation is conducted and the finding of the investigation is that there was actual, if you want to use the term malfeasance, if there was something that was identified that should not have been done, that there is discipline that takes place as a result of that finding and that there is reporting to the appropriate external authorities. And seven, the element seven is investigations and remedial measures. And Olga certainly talked about when one, starts an investigation, it needs to be conducted in a confidential manner, it needs to be well documented, and the findings from the investigation need to be retained. In other words, it can't just be where somebody's going, oh yeah, I remember I had a conversation with a compliance officer, I don't know, maybe six months ago. You need to have written documentation of that. Um, These kinds of things to use a Southern expression, can have a very long tail. You want to retain the information. And again, we talk about the seven elements of an effective compliance and ethics program. I will add that in the compliance profession itself, increasingly, one will hear about the eighth element, and that is conducting an external review of one's compliance and ethics program. I think It's really important to remember that a compliance and ethics plan should be reasonably designed for your organization. It should reflect that your organization has implemented and conducts an active compliance and ethics program. It's not just a document that sits on your intranet that no one ever looks at, no one ever refers to, uses, or that Goodness me, that it's sitting in some binder, gathering dust on somebody's um,
0: office table. You know what, Robin? You just made a really great point. You and Olga have covered such incredible ground thus far for our listeners, and and I'm struck by all of the gate checks and guideposts that go along and long in these programs. You know what you just said about this not being something that sits on a binder and. In a binder, collects dust, ages, weathers, yellows. Tell us a little bit about how often a facility should review its compliance and ethics program. This is not something that's one and done. So love to hear about what our listeners could be doing. Absolutely. Happy to do that, Krista. Based on the federal
2: regulations for skilled nursing facilities, a SNF's organization should review its compliance and ethics program on an annual basis. That being said, I think it's critically important to add that when a SNF undergoes significant changes, such as adding a new facility or having a change in the organization's ownership, that is a time when on a, if you will, real time basis, the organization needs to go back to its compliance and ethics plan to reevaluate it and update it as needed based on those material changes in the organization.
0: That's great information, Robin. And you know, Olga, that leads me to the next question that I wanted to ask that I hope you could talk a little bit about for our listeners. You know, we know that these long-term care facilities come in all shapes and sizes. There's a lot of considerations based on structure, scope and scale. Can you talk a little bit about the additional requirements for compliance and ethics programs for organizations that operate five or more facilities? I know that one of these requirements focuses on training about how the organization's operating compliance and ethics programs should should be maintained, because there are certainly some nuances the larger an entity is. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what these training requirements are? Absolutely.
1: And it just strikes me as very funny that. Three of us could sit here and very passionately talk about compliance, something that makes most people go, oh, no. But yes, indeed, um, there are additional requirements for small chains and larger chains. So organizations that have five or more facilities must follow additional requirements. And there's a specific set of training expectations for those facilities or facility chains. There are um, requirements for mandatory annual training on organization's compliance and ethics program. And this is what we are talking about today, right? This whole uh, compliance program. So training that um, you have to provide on annual basis, must include information about your policies, procedures, expected actions of the staff, volunteers, um, as as it relates to this program. The training program also needs to address effective communications. It is mandatory training for all direct care staff, So, so for all people who work with patients directly. Resident rights and responsibilities of the facility to properly care for the residents is another part of mandatory training. There needs to be focus on freedom from abuse, neglect, and exploitation, something that we hear very frequently and it can become kind of buzzwords and then focus is on how is it implemented and what is organization and all staff are doing to actually identify potential abuse, neglect, neglect, exploitation and what organization is doing to prevent it. Staff need to be trained on elements and goals of quality assurance and performance improvement program, also known as QAPI. And we all talk in, in senior living environment, we all talk about QAPI and how many people even know what QAPI is, what it stands for, and what's their responsibility in that program then we need to address policies and procedures as they relate to facilities infection control program and there's been heightened attention to this during covid we all know you know we we became much more aware of infection control program and um, as we are exiting public health emergency We need to remember that infection control program is still a mandatory training requirement. Training also needs to reflect explanation of the compliance and ethics program for all staff. Another requirement that facilities may not know about is that there's a minimum annual 12-hour in-service training for nurses' aides, that must include dementia management, resident abuse prevention training, as well as training in any areas of weakness as they're determined by nurses' aid's performance reviews and assessment of the facility. And those are very important. You know, you just don't take, as, as we were talking, that bind off the shelf and you recycle your training. The training needs to reflect Current assessment of the facility and staff performance. And the last one, uh, the last two points are state approved paid feeding assistant training
0: program and behavioral health program. Olga, thank you. That is fantastic information. And you're right. I think, you know, you and Robin and I could, could talk for hours about this. And I, I feel like our, our listeners should keep in mind that there will likely be some great content that follows as part of this informational series. You know, and and I'm struck by by what you just talked about with training and policies and all of the infrastructure. And I think that's a great segue for you, Robin, to talk about the boots on the ground and the people that actually enforce these programs and and how that's maintained. So another requirement for the compliance and ethics programs for these organizations that operate five or more facilities really focuses on a stipulation that there has to be a designated compliance officer for the operating organization's compliance and ethics program whose major responsibility is to administer and enforce all of this. And and I also know, um, I think it's great information for our listeners, that each of these facilities must have their own compliance liaison. To Olga's point, this information is continually evolving. want to reflect current standards and trends. So somebody's got to keep it all together. So, So can you talk a little bit about who the designated compliance officer should report to? What's that structure? What is the role and responsibility of these liaisons? Absolutely happy
2: to do that, Krista. The compliance officer, it is strongly recommended that the compliance officer for an organization that operates five or more skilled nursing facilities should report to the chief executive officer. The compliance officer really needs to spend the bulk of their time in the organization basically operating, if you will, the compliance program and making sure that all of these requirements that Olga has articulated about all of the training requirements and all of the making sure that the quality assurance, uh, the QAPI plan is being done. There needs to be that kind of work that's going on in conjunction, for instance, with the quality, quality improvement officer. So it's really important that the compliance officer can be a person who reports to the chief executive officer and if compliance and ethics issues are identified that the compliance officer has the right and I will say responsibility to report that information to the board of directors. In many organizations, you will see an organization chart in which the compliance officer reports to the chief executive officer, and then there's one of those little lovely jagged line kind of reporting pieces that goes from the compliance officer to the board chair. So that's Really, you want to have a compliance officer who is not reporting to, for instance, the chief financial officer or the chief operating officer or to general counsel. You really want to know that that person is reporting to the chief executive officer in what I'll call an unfettered manner. And with respect to the compliance liaisons at each facility, I'm going to use the term they are the boots to the ground, if you will, for the compliance program. I see the compliance liaison at each facility as being, if you will, the face of compliance and ethics at that site. They should be actively involved in what happens at the facility. They can help to identify training needs. They can make rounds. They can be responsive to any questions or concerns that might come forward from staff or from clinicians. I will say that making compliance rounds is a great way to really engage with people. It's not meant to be, air quotes, a gotcha. It's really to say how are things going? Do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns? So that there is a face to the compliance program. So again, each facility's liaison then works with the compliance officer to, if you will, execute the compliance and and ethics program in conjunction with every individual and with the board
0: members. You know Robin as that's great information as you were talking I was I was thinking in my mind the connection of engagement enforcement collaboration communication and relationships it's about making those connections and it's just fantastic information so we're pivoting over towards the conclusion of today's conversation i can't believe we're almost ready to wrap up but before we do I really hope that both you and Olga could share with our listeners a couple of critical, high-priority recommendations about compliance and ethics programming for these healthcare organizations that own or operate five or more nursing facilities. Olga, you're up first. All right. So, the key to
1: assessing this program is objectivity. And I just cannot emphasize it enough. Like, this is the most critical consideration. Objectivity. As I said before, the program needs to be written. It needs to exist not informally, it needs to be formalized, needs to have policies and procedures. And all activities related to the program need to be documented. So, it is best if the assessment of this program is done by persons not directly involved in development or oversight of corporate compliance and ethics program. It needs to be, because if uh, if OIG is having an inquiry about your program, they are not going to be intimately knowledgeable of, All your informal program, right, they will rely on observations, interview, and written documentation. So as we review and assess the program, all those elements need to be present. Unfortunately, our reality is that all facilities are still struggling with returning to pre-COVID operating standards. There's a lot to do and many facilities are dealing with key staff shortages at this time so what we can do we can help with a comprehensive evaluation and the of corporate compliance program and redesigned or updates if needed if your organization is choosing to perform a self-assessment you can absolutely do that and we recommend that you utilize us department of justice approach with their three fundamental questions to ask and actually robin is the one who referred me to this and now i know all three wake me up at three o'clock in the morning i will recite them (laughs) question number one is the corporation's program well designed number two is the program applied in good faith? And number three, does the corporation's compliance program work in practice? That's, that's my final thoughts. Robin?
2: Certainly Olga um, I'm so glad that you love those three fundamental questions as much as I do from the I criminal do. division of the US <laughs> Department of Justice are we are we compliance and <laughs> ethic wonks or what Oh they, yeah love those are. folks Well I would say for an organization one of the first steps I would take is is look at what your mechanisms are for bringing forward any questions or concerns about compliance and ethics. If I hear that there aren't any reported in an organization, that for me is a signal that employees or staff may not know where to go or they may be af- afraid, if you will, of retribution or retaliation. So that's one of those times where sometimes zero is not a good thing. So if there are uh, zero investigations being launched or if there are zero questions coming in to the compliance program about whether or not something is appropriate, that zero is not something that would sit well in this nurse's gut. I would say secondly, because the regulations for organizations that operate five or more facilities went into effect in 2019, as Olga has just said, we are now at the end. We are at the what's called expiration of the public health emergency. So as we come out of that dark period, if you will, I think that I would urge an organization to look at whether you might benefit from an external compliance review, and there are a couple of quick actions that your organization can take to figure out like, hey, are things going well, or might we benefit from talking to a trusted advisor? Some of those quick and dirty kinds of things that you can do is is randomly just, if you see a staff member in the hall or in the lunchroom, say, Can you name who your organization's compliance officer is? Or what might be something that they might remember more is, do they know who their particular facility's compliance liaison is? If you get a blank stare, that for me is a problem. I would also say that you want to look at whether there's been any increase in the number of quality of care complaints that have been raised about your organization with the state's Department of Health. And I think one of the things, again, I love regulations. And as I was reading these regulations, I was incredibly, incredibly thrilled to see that the SNF regulations around compliance and ethics really Mary, and I'm sort of linking my hands together as I make this statement, they link compliance and ethics with quality improvement and with patient advocacy. You don't always see that in regulations pertaining to compliance. So as I read this, again, speaking as a community health clinical nurse specialist and as a compliance officer, I was thrilled to see the integration of those themes. I think two more quick things that you can do is is look at when did your board of directors last receive a report about your organization's compliance program? For instance, does the board sign off on the annual compliance and ethics plan? Does the compliance officer ever attend a board meeting? And I would also venture to say, Can any of the board members state who the compliance officer is for the organization? If you are getting negative answers to any of those questions, then I really think it behooves your organization to consider whether it would benefit from having an external compliance effectiveness review.
0: You know what, ladies? That is such tremendous information. I've learned so much today in a about a space that I do have some knowledge with. And I, I do hope our listeners can feel and hear the passion that comes from you both, not just with your knowledge, but why it's so critically important. For this care and this quality, you've shared some incredible insights today, Olga and Robin, and I can't believe it, but we have reached the conclusion of our podcast. So on behalf of Olga, Robin, and myself, we want to thank our listeners for taking the time to listen to this episode of Barry Dunn's Healthcare Insights Compliance Plus Ethics Equals Integrity podcast. We welcome listener questions and feedback, and we're always looking for suggestions on topics we should consider developing for future episodes. There's great information on our website. Please check us out at And Until next time, hope you've enjoyed today's discussion, and we'll look forward to connecting in the future.